We're going to have a, we've been doing a new thing here during the month of June for fun called Sermon in a Bag. And so these young people have brought some things in paper sacks. Come sit, have a seat. You can sit down there, you can sit on the steps. So we're going to look in here. I'm going to pull out a bag and we're going to see what's in it and see how it reminds us of God in Jesus Christ. It's an elephant. Ah, elephants. You know what I've heard about elephants? That they have good memories. Have you heard that about elephants? I wonder what kind of memories we have. You know, sometimes I think we have good memories, right? Sometimes you can remember what you want for your birthday or for Christmas. Sometimes you can remember maybe what somebody did to you that you didn't like. You remember that. But there's one thing that I think we often forget, and that's how much Jesus loves us. It is something we forget over and over again. I know I forget it, and I've been trying to remember it all the time. And still there are times that I have to remember it again because I've forgotten. When we come together to worship and to hear the stories of the Bible, it's so that we can remember that God loves us. And we need to be reminded since we sometimes forget. So I'm glad that you're here today and that you brought an elephant to remind us of what we need to remember, that God loves each and every one of us. Whose elephant is this? Who brought this elephant? Thank you. All right, you may go to your um, story time, and we'll see you at baptism. Follow Miss Sarah. Do you want to go with your mommy? Who's mommy? Who's the mommy here? There she is. Follow there. There you go. I want to give a shout out to that little girl because she put her shoes on herself today. (laughs) And they seem to fit the opposite foot really well. I love the scripture that we read here during this season of Pentecost. We get big stories, big chunks of stories that remind us of God's work with God's people throughout all time. And we started off this morning with the story from 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel is old. It was written between 640 and 530 before the Common Era. Can somebody do the math real fast? I mean, how old does that make this story? 2,500 years old, at least, right? That's an old story. And yet I read it and I think, wow, is this, I could have read this in the newspaper this week. The desire for people to have a king over them. I I love how much detail there is in this about the human predicament and the desire of the human, um, you, you know, humanity to have a king over them. I remember in the election year of 2016 and all the conversation that was happening in run up for the presidential election, Someone said, you know, I just want somebody to go in a convertible down Main Street and wave and say, everything's fine, everything's fine. And I love the honesty of that confession, you know, that story that that person said, just the desire for someone to say, it's all good, everything's fine. Because that's what we see in 1 Samuel. They want a king over them. Now, Samuel takes this personally, as you hear at the start, because they say to Samuel, look, your sons, they're not listening to you, and so we don't want them. We want to appoint a king over us so we can be like everybody else, all the other nations. 
And you hear Samuel take this to God in prayer. And God says, look, don't take it personally. They don't listen to me. So they're not going to listen to you. Just go with them down this road. Tell them what having a king is really about. And did you hear it? Did you hear about what happens when you have a king and how the king takes all the goods for himself? I mean, Samuel lists it all out, and I'm sure it's based on what they witnessed in other countries and other nations. What the kings did there, taking the best for themselves, your daughters, your sons, putting them to work for the kingdom, for the king's agenda. So even when Samuel tells all the people this, they're like, this is his double check. Are you sure you want a king? Because you know what happens with a king. And they say, oh no, no, we're going to be different. We're going to be different. We want a king. Let's go make one. And so as you see by the end of the story, Saul is crowned king. And if you remember from your First Testament reading, Saul becomes a king that doesn't do that great of a job. It's David that follows him and has to clean up the mess that Saul has made. And David is a good king, but he was really the last one of the kingdom of Israel. What is it in us that wants something and someone to rule over us? And, and what is it that God says, really, I really want to encourage you to not go down this road. I was reflecting on this human predicament, and I thought, you know, maybe part of the challenge is that we ask too much of our human leader. Maybe we ask too much. We want, we want a human leader who will protect us from all threats. We want someone who will remove our vulnerability. I mean, that's what the people, the Israelites, wanted. They said, we want someone who will go and fight our battles for us. So maybe God has a problem with the idea of a ruler over us because we're asking too much of what a human ruler can ever do. Or maybe it's because we ask too little from a human ruler. We dismiss their morals or their ethics and we say, well, you know, I mean, maybe that's part of the challenge. I know it was in the First Testament, in the story from First Samuel. Time and again, we've turned our eye away from rulers who have demonstrated morals and ethics that are not in keeping with the Christian faith. This is not a new thing that humans are doing. We've done it a lot. We're vulnerable and susceptible to that kind of blindness. So maybe that's why God has a problem with a king, because we ask too little. Or maybe God has a problem with a king because we ask the wrong things. We want a king who can give us freedom from having to think about anybody else. We want a king who can make it right for us. I remember in the Episcopal Church back in 2003 when the first openly gay man was ordained consecrated bishop. It sent a ripple throughout the Anglican Communion about the authority of the church and bishops and what it means to be baptized and lots of theology was coming out about on both sides of things those that were in favor of his consecration and those who were against it lots of conversation and people wanted to imbue the Archbishop of Canterbury with authority that he doesn't have because we don't have a Pope who gives us instruction I mean who says this is how it's going to be everybody we don't have that as Anglicans so we wanted to have our archbishop have that kind of authority so he could say to everybody, look, everybody, this is how it's going to be. But you know what the one catch is? We wanted him to be on our side, whichever side that was. 
We had a wise person in that archbishop role at that time, as we consistently have, and he said, I'm not playing that game with you all. (laughs) I'm not going to let you get me into that predicament. And so we found ourselves, and still find ourselves, working out what it means to be in relationship with one another. So maybe that's why God has problems with the request for a king. We are invited to consider the kingship of Jesus and what that means in our lives. You see, it doesn't take away our vulnerability. It doesn't give us a freedom that's limited. It gives us a huge freedom of living in God's created world. And it does not let us off the hook with lame morals or ethics. It invites us to cultivate and to grow those. And so we consider what does it mean for God, through Jesus, to be the king of our lives. If there's one thing I want you to remember, returning to our sermon here with the elephant, is the question, what does it mean for God to be king of our lives? We're invited to consider that today. It is a lifetime journey to let God be the king of our lives. And we're bringing four people, some of them more vocal than others, into that discovery, right? We're bringing four people into that journey. And these parents all want to teach their children how to be the king, how how to have Jesus as the king of their lives. For all of you out there, you know it's going to be a hard row, right? A hard row to hoe. So let us support one another in that endeavor. No matter what your age, let us support one another in turning to God as the king of our lives. Because the kingship that God invites us into through Jesus is eternal, as we heard in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And it is universal, as Jesus says to his disciples. It's not along bloodlines, it's along relationship in Jesus. I invite you to leave this place today with that question. How is Jesus the king of my life? How can I allow God to be the king of my life? And how can I let God give me the strength to let God be the king of my life? It won't take away the vulnerability. It won't take away the pain. But it will give you a way to live into that. One last little note on all of that. I'm reminded that this week we were made aware of two um, deaths where people took their own lives. And that sends us into a spiral of questions. Why does this happen? How could it have been prevented? Am I aware of how I can respond to others around me who might be, um, you know, entertaining such an end? Interestingly enough, I was talking to a parishioner this past week and he said to me, I've been kind of out of, the, out of the picture for a while because I have a friend who's used these words. He said, and each time I've dropped everything and gone to be with him. I think that's a beautiful illustration of what it means to have Jesus as the king of your life. It gives you the priorities you need for life to be embraced and for love to be expressed and received. Let us go forth this week with that question. How can I allow God, the living God, to be king of my life? Amen.